appreciate all of you here. We've got a good number of visitors with us, and we're very happy that you made the decision to come and worship with us today. And you're catching us at the end of a six-part series. Uh, Hopefully it's not too disjointed for you this morning. I would say if there's any sermon in this series that goes well by itself, it's this one, because we're building to the climax that Paul has given us all throughout the book of Galatians. And just to give a bit of recap on our series this morning, for those of you that haven't been here, and as we have been for the sake of repetition and learning, the, the, the gospel in Galatians is all about the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was a region, uh, not one specific congregation, and there were a lot of congregations there that Paul wrote this letter to, and it's an impassioned plea for them to stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a group of people uh, that we call the Judaizers, who were supposedly Jewish Christians, um, and they would come into these congregations and would try to teach Gentile Christians that they had to obey parts of the law of Moses in order to be truly justified, in order to truly be children of God. And Paul was coming in to remind them about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We've used these two passages throughout our entire series to sort of encapsulate the message that Paul is telling them. And Galatians 1 and 6, he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And he concludes in verse 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so his message starts out with, You're turning away from the gospel that I preach you, the true gospel. There's not another gospel. Stay true to what I taught you. Stand fast in that liberty of the gospel. Now, last time we spoke, last month we ended with Galatians 5 and 1. And today we're going to begin there because that's the pivot point of this entire letter where Paul is, up till now, he's been telling them sort of the, the how and the what, but now he's going into the why and how this all sort of comes together for us as Christians, and what it means to walk in the light. So in part one of this series, we talked about the one and only gospel. Paul defended his apostleship. Part of what these Judaizers were doing was following him up and trying to discredit him as a true apostle. And so he defended his apostleship, talked about how there's only one gospel, and we talked a little bit about how why obedience matters. In the recap of part two, we talked about being crucified with Christ and what that means, and being in step with the truth of the gospel, and how that reveals to us the nature of the gospel, and how it's perpetual, how it's not one and done, it doesn't just end at our baptism, but continues to work in our lives as Christians going forward, and how that transforms us into a new creation, into what God wants us to be, and how the certain nature of the gospel gives us confidence in our salvation. We don't have to have doubts about the destination of our eternal soul. Part three, we talked about being children of faith and promise and how that we are justified by faith like Abraham was and that our faith is based in the gospel, which was a result of the changeless promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago and how the purpose of the law of Moses was to lead Israel and, by course, us to our need for Christ, to show us our need for Christ and to lead us to him. Part four, we talked about being divinely adopted into God's family, how we have sonship in Christ, or we are legal heirs in Christ, and that how when we're baptized into Christ, we put on Christ, or we're clothed in Christ, and the implications of that in our lives, and what that means, and how we are all one in Christ, whether we're Jew or Greek, whether we're slave or free, whether we're male or female, the gospel breaks down the, the differences we have in our lives and brings us together as one family. 
Part five, we talked about freedom from bondage and how the gospel gives us freedom, gave, gave Israel the freedom from the bondage to the law. It gave the Gentiles freedom from bondage to sin. And he talked about how that they were trying to return to bondage by embracing these doctrines that the Judaizers were bringing in. He said, you're going back to bondage just like Israel went back, wanted to go back to Egypt. And he used the example of Hagar and Sarah to teach the truth of that, that we have freedom in the gospel of Jesus. So now Paul pivots on all of that, and he's going to talk about walking in the Spirit and what that means. So having explained all these truths of the gospel, what it means to be crucified with Christ, how our salvation is based, based in faith and promise, freedom that comes from being adopted into God's family, we're going to have a therefore. And as Brother Trevor always talks about, therefore means before, what comes before. So everything Paul has talked about, he's now going to pivot on that, and he's going to talk about what that means for you and I. He's talked about the what and the how, and now he's going to talk about the why. Why we do what we do matters. He says in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore. Therefore, because of everything we've talked about, you stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You've become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, what he's reiterating here is we've already talked about this through the whole time, but I'm reminding you now, stand fast in the liberty you have. What's the liberty? From bondage of sin, from bondage to the law. And if you're going to go back to law, if you're going to be circumcised for justification, then I want to tell you right now that Jesus will profit you nothing. He will not be able to help you if you're trying to be justified by going back to the law of Moses. And he says, and if you're going to be circumcised, you've got to keep all 613. The whole shooting match is your responsibility. You can't do it. Now, he says in verse 5, we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. He says this is the opposite of trying to be justified by the law. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only kind of righteousness you and I can attain, is righteousness that comes by faith, and his righteousness becomes ours. That's our only hope. And he says we eagerly wait for that. That concept of waiting for it, that's going to come back later, so keep that in the back of your mind. And verse 6 is key. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. The why matters. That's what he's saying here. It's not the fact that you have been circumcised or that you have not been circumcised. And Paul is not trying to teach them, every man going forward in the history of the world can never be circumcised again, or every man should not be. What he's saying is, why are you doing it? Why matters? It's not about being justified by that. It's about faith. Working. It's about our relationship with Jesus and us loving him and loving one another. That's what it's about. And so love fulfills the law. He's going to talk about this in the next section. He's going to circle back a little bit to the Judaizers and their influence they've had. And then he's going to talk about what it really means to fulfill the law. He says in verse number 7 of Galatians 5, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says, this influence, the fact that you were running so well, you were doing great, I was there. You were converted to Christianity, you were living in the gospel, and now I'm gone and these other people have come in, and it wasn't Jesus, the one who calls you, it wasn't him that's influencing you. 
It's these false teachers. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We understand how yeast works in, in bread baking. You put a little bit of yeast, it doesn't take much, into your bread dough, and it's going to cause it to rise and become all airy and fluffy instead of flatbread. He says the influence that these Judaizers have had on you has been like that. You know, Satan works in subtle ways. It's not always obvious, and it doesn't take much for that seed of corruption to grow. And what he's telling you is you've got to be careful. These little matters can slip in. And it's a lesson for us as well to be on the guard constantly for little things that Satan uses to drive wedges between us, to insert a little bit of corruption here and there, and before you know it, it's spread, just like it had for the Galatians. He says in verse number 10, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So what he's saying here is, look, I have confidence. You're smart people. You know the truth. My argument will hopefully persuade you. If you've got an open mind, I know you're going to return to the true gospel. And he who troubles you should bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul says, I don't really care who it is. I don't need to know names. He's going to bear judgment, not from me, but from God. Verse 11, he says, and if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. What he's saying there is, listen, this is not my message. I've told you that before. I'm telling you again, this isn't my message. I don't preach circumcision because if that's the case, why am I being persecuted for it? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. The thing that really offends the Jews, he said, that's, that's out of the way if I preach circumcision. And we're going to come back to this later where he's saying that that's really why these people are doing this, to avoid persecution. But what he's saying here is, you know, the Jews were the primary source of persecution in this day. Sometimes they involved the Roman Empire, but up to this point, it's basically been the Jewish leaders who were trying to discourage Christianity. And if I preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? That's not what I'm preaching to you. Verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. We're seeing here now the peak of Paul's frustration with these Judaizers. This, on the, on the surface, even seems like strong language, but the meaning behind this is actually even stronger. The ESV translates this verse as, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's some very strong imagery there about how Paul feels about this. And he's frustrated. It's not just that his anger is directed at these people, but his love for the Galatians is making him frustrated at these people. And he's saying, I wish they would just cut themselves off. Now he's moving on here and talks more about this liberty. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, what he's doing here is basically the same thing he does in Romans chapter 6. And those of you that have been here for Brother Danny's series on Romans understand what we're talking about, but he spends the first part of Romans talking about sin, how whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, you're under sin, and because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we are now under grace. And he pivots in chapter 6 and says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, we can't just keep sinning just because we're covered by grace. And he's saying the same thing here. You have liberty in Jesus. You have liberty in the gospel. But don't use that liberty as an opportunity to flesh. Don't use that as a license to commit sin. And don't use it as a license to be, to be mean to each other, to, to put each other down, or to let it cause division among you. So if you were here um, a a couple of weeks ago, Brother Danny gave his final lesson in Romans, and he talked about this in great detail. I'm not going to rehash what he talked about. If you want to listen to it on the podcast, I highly recommend it. But he talks about that in Romans 14, 
and 15 as well about the liberties that we have in Christ and how we use those liberties. And those that have stronger faith should be aware of those who have weaker faith. And to love those brethren, it's all about unity. It's all about coming together. And just because I have the liberty to do something, I can do it, doesn't mean I should do it. And that's what he's saying here in, in chapter 14, beginning of verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with food the one for whom Christ died. And what he's saying there is basically, make sure you're loving your brethren. If somebody's weaker in faith than you, take that into account. And don't just say, well, I can do whatever I want. I have liberty in Christ when it might bring somebody else down. It might destroy someone else's faith. And that's basically, as we've talked about all throughout this series, Galatians is kind of the abridged version of Romans in a lot of ways. That's what he's saying here too. And he says, if you're interested in, serving the, in fulfilling the law, back in Galatians 5, verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You interested in the law of Moses? Here's how to fulfill it, basically. Love your neighbors yourself. Be good to people. The golden rule. Treat people like you want to be treated. Love them. Serve them. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So what he's doing here is warning against the liberty, saying, listen, yes, you have freedom. You have liberty. You didn't earn your salvation, but that doesn't mean that you should go on living any way that you want to live. It's about walking in the Spirit. And so he talks about first what it means to walk in the Spirit a little bit. I say then, Galatians 5, verse 16, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Again, same concept that Paul talks about in Romans. Romans 7, I delight in the law of my God according to the inward man. I see another law of my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my members. The things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. The things that I know I should, should do, I'm not doing those things. It's that inward struggle that we have with sin. And note when he's talking about the struggle of flesh against spirit, he's not talking about our physical bodies versus our spiritual selves or our soul. He's not talking about physical versus spiritual. He's talking about who we are inside. Within our heart, that part of us that still desires to commit sin, that still desires the things that we think are going to be better for us than Jesus. And in that struggle against that part of us that wants to be different, that wants to follow Christ, that wants to serve him, that wants to walk in the Spirit. It's that struggle that we're talking about. And make no mistake, we're not impinging at all on our confidence and our salvation because we can take this to mean, well, you know, it's just a constant struggle. And, oh, today I slipped up and I said a bad word. And I better pray about that immediately or else I might die in a car crash and I might go to hell because I did that. That's not how this deal works. It's not about immediately losing our salvation because I've stumbled. It's about having that desire within ourselves to just bit by bit, little by little, squash that part of me that wants to serve sin and increase that part of me that wants to follow Jesus. That's what it's about. He said, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It's not about me having the willpower to look at the law and say, I'm going to obey this the best that I can and hopefully I don't mess up too much. It's about me being led by the Spirit, about following Jesus and trusting in the salvation that I have in him, and bit by bit trying to be more like him, walking in the Spirit. Now, verse 19 of Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are evident. 
Let's stop there a second. He's like, you know what right and wrong is. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. The the works of the flesh are evident. I don't have to tell you, but he's going to tell them anyway. (laughs) Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works of the flesh. This is what happens when we're giving in to that inward struggle and we're going back to sin, back to bondage. These are the works of the flesh. He says they're evident. You know what's right, you know what's wrong. Now, there's some pretty bad things listed here. We've got adultery, fornication, we've got idolatry and sorcery, we've got murder and drunkenness, but we've also got lewdness and hatred and contention, jealousy and outbursts of wrath, envy. Guilty is charged. And so we might tend to look at this list and say, well, man, what hope is there? Again, having that, not having that understanding of confidence in our salvation and knowing that he's not talking about, you know, I have something happened to me today that was just so overwhelmingly frustrating that, that I had an outburst of anger. And because of that, I won't inherit the kingdom of God. The key here is what he says here, those who practice such things. Those who make these things happen. You know, I played basketball in school, and we, we had practice every school day. We had practice. Why did we practice? Well, it was so we could become good at it, but what it really boils down to is so that we can make that part of who we are, so it becomes second nature to us. We practice how to dribble, how to pass, how to shoot, how to defend, how to run plays, how to have a, a particular offense. or We practice those things so we become used to them. They become habitual. So when it comes to game night, I don't have to focus on those things necessarily. And the stress of having hundreds of people watch me play and knowing that this is the real deal, it just, I just do those things naturally. And so what he's talking about here is people who practice such things. If these things are a habit in your life, if this is who you are and how you live on a regular basis, you practice those things, then that, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they apparently have not had faith in Christ. They're not walking in the Spirit. They're not allowing allow the gospel to transform them into that new creation. They're instead still living in sin, still serving flesh, giving into the struggle, and letting sin reign instead of letting Jesus reign in their lives. That's the works of the flesh. The opposite of that, and actually the opposite, and plus even more, is the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. These two verses, verses 22 and 23, some of the more famous in the Bible, we have songs. You know, it's kind of like somebody was saying the other day, I can't read these verses without hearing the song in my head. Uh, we understand that. We're not going to get into detail this morning on the, the specific fruits of the Spirit that are listed here. I think we all kind of know what all these are, kind of self-evident. You could do a whole sermon series on each one of these, I suppose. But he says, against such, there's no law. There's no law against these kind of things. Nothing in the law of Moses or any other law is going to forbid you for being this kind of person. But what I want to sort of hone in on this morning is this concept of the fruit 
singular of the Spirit. Now, he uses the word fruit there. I don't think it's an accident. I think the Holy Spirit was very deliberate in inspiring Paul to use the word fruit. You have the works of the flesh, but you have the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, those works of the flesh, people doing those things, the outcome of that and the repercussions of that are, are very evident. They're very immediate in some cases and very destructive. But he said the opposite of that, and what we have in the gospel when we walk in the Spirit is the fruit, not the works of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't claim to understand the mind of Paul. I don't claim to understand the mind of the Holy Spirit as he directed Paul to write this. But I think we can take some implications from this about what it means to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. First of all, we understand when we grow fruit, it's a gradual process. You plant a tree or you plant some sort of plant that you're expecting fruit from. It doesn't happen overnight. You plant a seed and you water and you fertilize and you wait and you wait. Eventually, that seed sprouts. And then you, plant some, you put some water on it, you fertilize and you wait and you wait and eventually it grows. And you put water on it and you fertilize and you wait and you wait and eventually uh, it blossoms. And you whole process again, you wait, you wait, and all of a sudden there's some fruit, and then you wait more, and the fruit grows and ripens. It's a, it's a gradual process. It's not something you can see overnight. You know, it kind of happens when I, when I try to lose weight. It's the same thing. I try to, you know, eat good for about a week or so, and, you know, I don't really see any difference immediately. So I'm like, well, is this even working? You know, what am I doing? Recently, I've been trying to eat more like a human being instead of a hobbit, and I've, I feel like I've made a little bit of progress, and last night we were at the table, and Becca said, are you losing weight? I'm like, well, I hope so. I don't really know. I don't get on the scale, you know, every day. She's like, well, I can tell right here. I guess I, guess I start to lose a chin or two when I, when I start to lose weight. I don't know. But, you know, I don't notice that overnight, and I don't notice it myself. It's a very gradual process, and the same is true with us walking in the Spirit, it doesn't happen overnight, especially for a new Christian. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's not a sprint. This isn't the 100-meter dash. It's a marathon. And it's going to take time, and it's going to take patience, and it's going to take watering and fertilizing and waiting and being patient and stumbling and falling and getting back up and trying again. But what, how do we do that? It's not about willpower. It's not about us looking to the law and saying, I've got to do better, I've got to do better. It's about looking unto Jesus. Verse 2, the author and finisher of our faith. We only accomplish this through Christ. Only through him, only through our faith in Christ do we accomplish this. But even though it's gradual, it is inevitable. If you plant a seed, and if you water it and fertilize it and cultivate it in the right way, it will produce fruit. Eventually, it will. I read a story as I was researching this, and a man talked about a, a man who died and was buried, and in his grave was an acorn. And that acorn started to, to grow. And there was a big marble slab over his grave, and a tree started to grow, and eventually it butted up against that marble slab, and, you know, wasn't immediate, but over time, the strength of that seed cracked the marble, and a tree grew up through that marble and became a huge oak tree. It's inevitable. If we're walking in the Spirit, if we're sowing in the Spirit, we will eventually bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Not that it shouldn't be hidden. Not that you can try to hide it. You cannot hide a city set on a hill. It's inevitable. And as a litmus test, we take a look at our lives. How long have I been a Christian? What fruit of the Spirit do I see in my life? Am I seeing anything? If I'm not, maybe I need to be walking in the Spirit more than I am. Another thing we understand about trees and plants and bearing fruit is a lot happens underground. I've been told that the root system of a tree is almost a mirror image of what we see up top. And the most important things that happen in the production of fruit or a healthy plant is what happens in the root system. That's where the water is absorbed. That's where the nutrients are. I've got a couple of trees in my yard at home. Every year, it seems like, I have to go buy those little iron implants and drill holes in my tree and put those iron plants in it. For that year, it seems to work, but then the next year, I've got to do it again. I've probably got a problem in my root system somewhere that I just don't know about or I'm too cheap to pay somebody to come and fix for me. I just don't want to spend that kind of money. But you know, if we fix the root system, I probably wouldn't have so many problems with my trees. And the same is true for you and I. When we're walking in the Spirit, it's not surface-level changes that are going to make us a new creation. It's something inside us, underneath the surface, that has to change. We read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, If you've not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and in holiness. He talks about putting off the old person, putting on the new person, becoming somebody different inside us. Not just surface level, not just what other people can see. The why matters. He talks about being created according to God in true righteousness. Remember, true righteousness only comes through Christ. That's the only place we can get it. And finally, Walking in the Spirit and bearing fruit of the Spirit is systematic in and of itself. What do we mean by systematic? Well, we had an apple tree in our front yard when we were growing up as kids. And when that apple, when that apple tree produced fruit, it wasn't just one apple. It was a lot of apples because we had to pick them up every time we had to mow the yard. We didn't want to tear up the lawnmower and make a big mess. You know, when we got older and moved out of the house, that apple tree got cut down somehow. I don't know how that happened, but I guess Dad didn't want to pick up apples like we had to for all those years. Not that he never did it. He, he did it himself. But, you know, the point is, it doesn't just produce one apple. It produces a, it's a systematic bearing of fruit. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, the Scripture says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He doesn't say if someone loves, says, I love God and hate my brother, he's unbalanced. He says, you can't have one without the other. It's not possible to love God and not love your brethren. It's not possible to love your brethren without first loving God. You can't do it. And so it's, when Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit, he uses a singular form of the word fruit. But he lists a bunch of different qualities. And so what we're saying here is the fruit of the Spirit is not just picking and choosing some of those qualities. What he's saying here is if you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is all of those things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, patience, self-control. It's all of those things. And if you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, that's going to be systematic. The fruit, the singular fruit, is all of those things together. It's the kind of person a Christian is when they're walking in the Spirit. Now, some of us naturally 
have some of those things in greater measure. So there are some people that have more self-control than I do. There are some people who are kinder and gentler than I am. And we all have those things in different measure. But if you're a Christian walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, you will have the whole fruit of the Spirit, not just one or two of those things. So then he says in verse 24 of chapter 5, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. How do we let the fruit of the Spirit take root in our hearts? How do we accomplish that? Well, first of all, we remember that we are Christ's. We belong to Jesus. Remember, it all comes back to him. We cannot accomplish this. None of this is possible without what Jesus has done for us, without his death on the cross, without his resurrection, without him being the hope that we have, the first fruits. We have nothing. We cannot do this without remembering we are Christ and what he's done for us. Number two, we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. We talked about this earlier, that part of us that wants to sin. Little by little, we squash that and we crucify it. It's not about doing physical harm to ourselves. It's about taking that part of us in our heart that wants to commit sin and making it smaller and realizing that we need Jesus. See, when we commit sin, we, what we say, as we've said before in this series, we, we are saying basically, I need this sin more than I need Jesus. I love this sin more than I love Jesus. That's what happens when we give in to temptation. And it's more than just saying no. It's coming to that realization and crucifying the flesh, that part of us that wants to commit sin. Number three, we keep in step with the Spirit. The ESV, instead of saying, let us walk in the Spirit, it says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so what he's saying there, it's not enough just to give up sinful behavior. That's important. It's important that we give up and crucify the flesh, but we need to replace that with something. Replace that desire to sin with the desire that we have to serve Jesus and follow him. Being in step. Nature abhors a vacuum, as the saying goes. We take that stuff out. Something's got to take its place. And we need to remember that all of this is a very deliberate and intentional process on our part. We don't just obey the gospel and all of a sudden, God sends the Holy Spirit upon us and makes us miraculously the people that we're supposed to be. We have to make the choice to walk in the Spirit. It's not something that happens miraculously. It's very deliberate and intentional on our part. And I think the, sort of the modern vernacular, if you will, of this passage is, if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. Show that you're having that struggle in your life, that struggle to take that sinful person, those sinful desires, and shrink it down while at the same time raising that desire to follow Jesus. So as Paul gets into Galatians chapter 6, the first, first part of that, we're not going to cover in detail because not that it's not important or that we shouldn't study about it. I highly recommend that you do. He talks about bearing one another's burdens. He talks about those who are caught up in sin and how we need to restore those people in love. And it's all basically talking about walking in the Spirit, considering ourselves not to think highly of ourselves or more than ourselves than we should, knowing that without Jesus, we're nothing ourselves. Those things are very important for us, but it all fits into this narrative of walking in the Spirit, walking by faith in Jesus, loving one another, serving one another, remembering that it's only because of Jesus that we do this. And so he says in verse 7, sort of continuing in this agricultural analogy, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. 
We understand the concept. You plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree. You plant strawberry seeds, you get strawberries. Whatever you plant, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And so if you go back to those works of the flesh and that's what you're sowing, guess what you're going to reap? You're going to reap corruption. You're going to reap death. But if you're walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life, you're going to reap everlasting life. Simple as that. He says, verse 9, let us not grow weary while, while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So what he's saying here is don't forget. It's a process. Don't forget it's not going to happen. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't say, I'm not seeing immediate results. I did something nice for this person and I didn't get anything out of it. Remember, don't grow weary in that. Be patient. Don't lose heart. And therefore, before. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those household of faith. Remember, it's going to take time. Therefore, you keep doing good no matter what. You keep walking in the Spirit. And so as Paul starts to sort of wrap up his message, what he's going to do is he's going to re-encapsulate everything again in the last few verses of Galatians 6. He's going to make one final plea. He's going to remind them about everything that they've already talked about in, in a very simpler form, obviously. And he's going to make one final plea. You stay true to the gospel. You remember what this is all about. Don't forget. So he says in verse 12, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For, even, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So he's reminding them, okay, remember what this is all about. These Judaizers that I'm so frustrated with that want to compel you, that want to force you to the law of Moses, that want to force you to be circumcised, I want you to remember why they're doing it. It's not for your good. It's not because they're interested in the truth of the gospel. It's because they don't want to be persecuted because they believe in Jesus. And remember what he said at the beginning of chapter 5? He says, I testify to those who are circumcised that you're a debtor to the whole law. It's not just the one. It's all 613. He says, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. They just want to be able to boast in the flesh. That's all they want to do. But Paul says in verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So he's circling back to his original argument. Remember, I'm not going to boast in anything, Paul says. The only reason I'm even here, the only reason we have hope is because of what Jesus has done for us. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Not because of me, because Jesus is living in me. The world has been crucified to me, I to the world. I'm squashing that inward man, that inward part of me that desires sin. I'm squashing, crucifying the flesh day by day, bit by bit, and I'm increasing my love for Jesus and my, for my brethren. And daily, bit by bit, eventually, but inevitably, the fruit of the Spirit is working in my lives, in my life. Verse 15, he says it again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. It's not about me doing something to earn my salvation or not doing something to earn my salvation. It's about me following Jesus for the right reasons and walking in the Spirit, that new creation. Becoming new, not because I'm good at it or because I deserve it, but because Jesus is transforming me day by day when I try to follow him and walk in the Spirit. As we think about what we've learned in the book of Galatians and what it means to stay true to the gospel, 
what the gospel really means to us. We talked a lot about sort of the nuts and bolts of the gospel, if you will. We talked about how it's the one and only gospel. Only through Jesus Christ can we find salvation. Only through him do we have hope of eternal life. We understand that we need to be crucified with Christ. And that we need to let the gospel transform us going forward. And knowing that we can be confident in our salvation. We need to be children of God by faith and promise. Not because we adhere to some law. And understand we've been divinely adopted into his family. We've become legal heirs of his. And reap the benefits of Jesus' sonship. And we become his righteousness. And the freedom that we have in that. Freedom from bondage of sin. That can only be found in Jesus Christ. And we do that by walking in the spirit. By following after Jesus. By daily, bit by bit, crucifying that part of our heart that says, I want this sin more than I want Jesus. By replacing that with a love for Christ and a love for one another. If you have not obeyed the gospel, what are you waiting for? There's no better time than right now to make the most important decision of your life, to serve Jesus Christ, to make him a part of your life, to crucify the old person that wants to just keep sinning and to replace that with a person who wants to follow Jesus. We have everything that we need here this morning to help you make that decision. If you want to obey the gospel, if you need the prayers of the church, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.